0: If you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians chapter one. As I said in previous weeks, this chapter is so rich about who Jesus is that it's actually his words coming to the Colossians. Sure, Paul is writing a letter, but it's really Jesus wanting to speak to the Colossians. Last week, we talked about how he's wanting them to grow in his knowledge. He doesn't want them just to be like, well, I'm saved and now I'm just going to sit. No, that's this growing. It's this this. This expansion of the relationship of coming nearer and closer and a deeper understanding of who Jesus is, because he never wants you to just to sit still, because that's not evidence that you've been saved. When you've been saved by Jesus, something happens inside you where you can't resist him. You want to know more about him. I heard a story recently. Katie told me about it. We couldn't, she didn't remember where the story came from or who it was told, so I wish I could credit it, but I can't. It just was Katie. And uh, the story was this slave woman who was sitting there to be sold. And a a rich man came along to buy her. And he paid for the woman. And the woman went away kind of kicking and screaming and saying, "How, how dare you? How dare you buy me and keep me in slavery? And the man turned to her and said, dear woman. I haven't bought you. To have you remain in slavery, I bought you to give you your freedom. When she thought she was going to go on in slavery, she resisted because she thought it was just going to be rules and regulations. But when she saw the deep love of this man who had bought her. To set her free. The story goes that she said, tell me what you want me to do. I will serve you. See, that's a completely different thing when somebody by their grace and mercy has bought you and given you freedom. And you say, I want to be with you. I want to know more about you. I can't resist what you've done for me. I just want to follow you. It's completely different than thinking, well, God just wants me to be good all the time and follow the rules and do this and that. No, that's slavery. He bought us out of that. And so Jesus has been saying, I want you to know who I am. And if you are a believer, you want to seek him more and grow in him more and experience him more. And you just can't get enough of him. And so that's where Colossians is going. He's setting up. Just how wonderful Jesus is. And in weeks to come, after Easter, we're going to be looking. We've called it Jesus 101. There's just so much to know about him. And it's good to know about him, not only so that you can tell others, but so that you can know for sure in your heart just exactly who Jesus is. I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard Christians tell other people about Jesus, and it's not Jesus. They're actually saying false things. They don't know who he is, and then they aren't telling truth. So we want to make sure that we know Jesus and who he is. That'll be Jesus 101 coming up. But today, as we read, we're starting in verse 11. Of chapter 1 in Colossians, it says this May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to tell you just straight up this morning, those are about three of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Because I don't know that there's three verses that can so succinctly describe the gospel and just have it so powerfully move in my heart. And this morning we may have read through that and there's a lot there. I mean, there's a lot there to chew on. What I'm going to do is I go, I'm almost going to go backwards. I'm going to go backwards because I know as you come in this morning, you've come out of a week where some of you have had some pretty crushing situations, circumstances didn't go the way you wanted. You're, you're already reeling from things that have been coming like waves at the ocean shore that are just burying you. And you come in this morning and say, where is God? what you're going to give me that gospel again no we have to go to the gospel we can't bear up under the things that are crushing us unless we remember what god has done for us and then now where we stand in him so i'm going to work backwards in this passage so that we can go through that so start with me at the end verse 14 it says there in whom this is jesus the beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins First of all, in the Bible, we always start with God because the very first verse says in the beginning, God, right? He created the heavens and the earth. And in that creation, he created a man and a woman and he put them in a garden. Their names were Adam and Eve and our Bible diggers who are here tonight or this morning at nighttime, they learn on Wednesday nights all about Jesus. So uh, uh, kids, what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden? What did they do? They did what Andrew? Yeah, they ate the fruit they weren't supposed to. And we call that big word, it starts with an S, what? They did what? Sinned. They sinned. Even kids understand that, that in the beginning, God. And then when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, they said, we don't want to follow you. The instructions that you gave us, we think you're selling a short. Let us take of the fruit and eat it. And they sinned before God. As a result, them and all of humanity have been cast towards not only a life of sin because of our heredity from Adam and Eve, but we are going to die. That is a problem, not only in a physical death, but for eternity. We're just destroyed. But God in his love. Went through this whole plan. And we've been looking at that through Bible diggers. All that God had done throughout all the Bible to prepare this moment when he would send his beloved son. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son. Right? And in the story, he went from that Palm Sunday. He got off the cult and he went in that week and he went and he took on a trial for things that he wasn't guilty for. He never sinned. And then he went and hung on the tree. He was bleeding and dying. And we know that story. We'll focus on that on our Good Thursday service. We'll go through the whole story about how he was whipped and flogged and spit on. And, and, and he had a crown of thorns. And they, they just flogged him. And then they had him carry his cross up. And he was nailed in that place. And they shoved a spear up his side. And the wrath of the Father came upon the Son, Jesus Christ. But that was what you and I deserved. Jesus took our place. And the reason is this. We, like that woman, were in slavery. We were in sin. We were a slave to sin. And as a result, we were going to die. There was nothing we could do to get out of it. So God sent his son to pay. And set us free. And that scripture in Colossians said this in whom we have redemption. Somebody had to redeem us. What that means is somebody came and paid for us. Jesus came and said, I am paying with my blood, the blood that should be paid with your blood and your blood and your blood for your sin. Jesus came and paid with his blood because that's the only blood that can take you and give you eternal life. Jesus bought you by his incredibly pure blood. And in that moment, when he paid for you, he said on the cross, it is finished. That word finished means the debt is paid. How many of you have bills hanging over your head, <laughs> right? You've got the mortgage. You've got the medical bills. You've got the cable bill. You got your phone bill. You've got your, maybe some of you have bojangle bills. I don't know where you're getting bills from, but you've, you've got a tremendous amount of debt that's hanging over your head. How's that feel? Awful, right? You just feel like you can't dig out of it. That is sin. And that is death. And there's no way that you can pay for it. But Jesus stepped in and said, let me take care of that debt. Let me just wipe that clean. And he redeemed you. He bought you out of that slavery and and gave you freedom. Part of that is that when you go and you're now... Paid for, you stand there not as one who is then filthy in rags, but the scripture says that as a result of him paying for your sin, they actually came to you and you when you said, Lord, I am sorry for my sin, please forgive me. Guess what he did? He didn't fool around. He didn't say, Well, let me tempt you with a carrot, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. No, he said, In that moment when you prayed for forgiveness, you were forgiven. All of your sin and the complete record against you, which would have been a testimony in the court of God's courtroom that should have taken you and cast you into hell. All of that record was, was whoosh. In fact, all of it went, was put on Jesus. And at the moment that you were forgiven, all that stood against you, the Bible says was, was thrown over God's shoulder. In fact, in, in the old Testament says, it's like he took it and threw it into the deepest part of the sea, never to be seen again. You, my friends, if you have called on Jesus for salvation, have not only been paid for, you've been completely forgiven from your sins. There is nothing that stands against you. That is a good word. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to like, have this feeling of like, I don't know if it's paid. I don't know if I'm clean. You ever go to eat something and halfway through the meal, you're like, Actually, I don't remember if I washed my hands. I don't know if they're clean. That's a bad feeling. I might be not in a good place. But what Jesus says, if he's forgiven you, your sins are forgiven. You can go forward approaching that day of judgment when you will stand before Jesus. Knowing that your sins are forgiven. There's not a record against you. You go there in hope. You go there in Grace. You go there with security, knowing that he has already forgiven you. That moment is going to be him saying, yeah, come on in. You're coming home with me. And so as we work backward, this passage, it says your sins are forgiven. He has paid for your sins. But he's redeemed you. But in that middle portion, it said this. It says he has delivered us. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us. To the kingdom of his beloved son. In scripture it des- describes two domains. Two kingdoms. One domain it talked about there was the domain of darkness. I think we have an understanding of what the domain of darkness means. I mean darkness is creepy. Darkness is scary. Darkness is always referred to as that which is wicked. Darkness is a dark place. That's the domain that Satan is over. It's everything against god and it has nothing nothing to do with life it is utter ruin and destruction and before you knew jesus that's where you were that's where i was we lived in the domain of darkness we lived in a kingdom that was completely separate from god and we were going to die but as we just talked about he forgave us he paid for our sins but that verse right there says he took you out of that domain of darkness and you don't have to live in it anymore It said that he took you and he transferred you to the kingdom of his son where you share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You've been taken out of that which did not have life and placed into a kingdom where somebody actually loves you. Do you think Satan cared for you? No. Do you think his demons loved you? No, they love to trick you. They love to do things to get you to not love Jesus, but they don't care about you. The world doesn't care about you, but God does. And he took you from a place that was empty and doing nothing for you. It says he transferred you into his kingdom. Kingdom means the domain of the king. You were in now uh, a citizenship of a place where the king knows you by name. He bought you with his blood and he loves you. And he will love you for all of eternity more than you can ever imagine. He transferred you there. And when I think of transfer, I think of those times when, when my kids were younger and they were on the playground and they would be on a high structure over here. And they didn't—they weren't strong enough or big enough to climb up and down ladders. And so dad or mom would take and physically pick them up by their strength and transfer them to a better, safer place. And that's what Jesus has had to happen. He, he transferred you to a better place. By his power and his might. Now that transferring is more than just. Oh, moving from one place to another. Let me describe to you a little bit. What, what that means. Uh, when we moved to North Carolina. I couldn't just use my Washington driver's license anymore. You know we came to a point where we said. We're going to be residents here. I think, I think this will work out. We're going to stay. You know and so I had to go down to. The department of licensing. And I had to go take my eye test and by some miracle, I passed that. And then, um, you know, I had to make sure. And they took a new license. I have it right in my wallet right here. And they said this, you have now been transferred. You are no longer a resident of Washington. You are now a resident of North Carolina. Welcome. Welcome. Now I can't carry my, I have a, I have a North Carolina driver's license. I cannot continue to carry a Washington driver's license because you cannot be a resident of both places. I was transferred. I was given a citizenship in this place. I vote in this place. I shop in this place. I live in this place. I get junk mail in this place. I'm in, I'm in North Carolina now. And Katie's picture is much better than mine. You used to be a citizen. If you're a believer in Christ, you used to be a citizen of the domain of darkness and God transferred you. And in that moment, he gave you the credentials. He gave you the license that says you are a resident of the kingdom of God. Welcome. What that also means is. You don't get to go back to the domain of darkness and live anymore. You've been transferred. You don't get to go pick up junk mail from there anymore. You don't get to go participate in the things of the dominion of darkness anymore. You've been put into a much better place. You live for the king. Welcome. The problem is, man, as Christians, we love to peek over that fence and say, man, <laughs> looks like they have it good over there. Yeah, that's what the prodigal son thought. Right? He was brought home. He was given residence again with his dad. That's what happened when you were transferred to the kingdom of the son. And now you get an inheritance. That's not something you earn. An inheritance is something that is given to you. And God has said, you know what? Because you're mine, because you're my kids. I'm giving you an inheritance. Now, if you're like me and greedy at the first. Listen of inheritance, it's like, what is that? Do I get his house? Do I did he have a bunch of money tucked away? Do I get God's money? What what is the inheritance that I get? Let me tell you, it's better in this. And if this disappoints you, you better ask whether you know the Lord. Your inheritance is him. It's him. Many of you who have had a loved one passed away and you have received an inheritance. Would you not trade in the inheritance of that house, that land, that car, that money? Would you not trade that in for the person that left? You would, wouldn't you? So why would we think that there's a better inheritance in eternity than God himself? We would give up the mansions. We would get up, give up the street of gold. We would give up a crystal sea and having a house right on the edge of that. We would give that all up if we recognized how beautiful and wonderful he is. And we would say, but we get him. Just, just give me him. He's beautiful. He's our inheritance. And yeah, apparently there's other great stuff there. Man, be overcome by the fact that he gives you himself. That's the greatest thing anybody can ever give you, isn't it? Themselves. Don't you hate it when you want to be with somebody? You're like, I just want to be with you. And they're like, here's some money. Get out of my face. I'll schedule it sometime in the future, but you can tell they don't really want to be with you. Doesn't that make you mad and a little hurt? God never does that. He says, here's the plan. I'm going to forgive you, redeem you. I'm going to transfer you. You're going to be in my kingdom. And guess what? We'll get to be together. That's the whole plan. That I get to be with you. Your inheritance is me. So let's go enjoy eternity. That's what he's giving. He's transferred you. And this wasn't by anything that we have done. As we continue to go backwards. In verse 12, it said, giving thanks to the father Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? We've already talked about this, that Jesus paid with his blood. There was nothing else. And that he he uh, paid and forgave you and he transferred you. But just so that there's no mistaking about it. You were not qualified because you grew up in the church. You were not qualified because you're American. You're not qualified because you've worked hard every day of your life. You're not qualified because you listen attentively to Jason's sermons, even though I appreciate it. Um, You're not qualified because your dad or your mom was a Christian. You're not qualified um, because you have a perfect attendance at Sunday school. You are not qualified for the basis of anything that you have done. Nothing. There is nothing that you have done which has qualified you to share in what God's given you. You were qualified because God just simply said. By the merit of Jesus Christ. You're qualified. There is nothing else. And that sounds good the day that you said, Lord, please forgive me and save me. And he says, you are qualified. But guess what? Some of you are being crushed by this. You came to faith. And now this week, you're trying to qualify yourself again. And now certainly we are to live the way the Lord wants us to live. But you have this ongoing issue where you are trying to make God love you by qualifying yourself and making yourself acceptable to him week after week after week. And you haven't accomplished it, right? The reason is because you can't. You can never qualify. You can never get to a place of saying, God will love me more if I just do more for him. God will love me more if I stop doing uh, the things that he's asked me not to do. He already loves you. He already qualified you. You don't have to do more. Does he want you to live holy lives? Yes. Yes. Does he want you to obey his commandments? Does he want you to follow the leading of his spirit? Yes. Does he want you to be in the word of God? Yes. Does he want you to participate in a local church? Yes. Does he want you to probably, but does that make him love you anymore or qualify you to be in his presence? No, absolutely not. That is not the gospel. Most of the new Testament books like Colossians are teaching against that. You are not loved by God because you don't touch alcohol. You are not loved by God because you have not looked at bad TV shows. You are not loved by God because you have made it into that pew. A hundred percent of the time this year, that is not why you were loved by God. You were loved by God because he is utterly love. It's not by a qualification or a merit that you have done. It is solely based on him and his character. And then he takes you in. And now that he's qualified you, you say. Just tell me what to do. And anything that you do that bears fruit for him, it's not something that you're doing. It's something that Jesus is doing through you and anything that's merit based before God that he's like, I'm pleased with that. It's because it's Jesus doing it through you, not you doing it through you. It's Jesus. Everything is totally and utterly based on Jesus. It's all about him. And then as we go backwards in this passage. And this one blows me away. And for those of you who are really struggling, you've you just need a word of encouragement today. This is your verse, but we've been this verse. It doesn't have a whole lot to it unless we just went through all that stuff about the gospel, what Jesus did for you on the cross. But now we've got to the verse and let this encourage you today. Verse 11 May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And let me just stop there before we go any further. May you be strengthened with all power. He doesn't limit it. He doesn't say, let me just slip you a little power. Let you be strengthened with all the power that God has to give. Now, let me tell you how powerful that power is. In the book of Ephesians, it says this. That God is bestowing upon his people the same amount of all incredible power. that was the same power that went and raised Jesus Christ from the dead. If you believe in a resurrection that God, by his power, overcame death and a tomb, which we will celebrate next week. If you believe in a resurrection, and this goes beyond colored eggs and marshmallow peeps. This is a resurrection that we celebrate. It is so powerful that God could overcome. The, nobody else has ever done it. Buddha didn't do it. Muhammad didn't do it. Your grandma hasn't done it. Nobody has overcome death except for Jesus Christ. And the same power which he overcame death. is the same power that today he wants to come and encourage you with. He wants to strengthen you with the power. All power. That brought Jesus Christ back from the dead. You ever realize that? You go to the Lord and say, Lord, hey, I'm weak. I need your help. Get ready for some help. When Almighty God says, I'm going to take all my might and power and I'm going to give that to you today. He's got it to give. Trust him for that. Let him strengthen you in his power. Not to get what you want, but to see you through. And it said in there, not only about all power, but he goes on and as we read, it said. uh, According to his glorious might, I I think we're blind sometimes to his glorious might. In fact, I want to bring up a story that's back in the book of Second Kings. There was a prophet named Elisha. Uh, He was the understudy of Elijah. Uh, But Elisha was a prophet that operated in Israel and and he He operated like you would expect a prophet. He could tell the future. He, God showed him what was going on and this, that, and the other thing. And so this one time there was a whole army that, um, had come around Elisha's house because he had been tipping off the Israel King about this foreign army. So the foreign army came and surrounded this prophet's house. And Elisha's servant is like, here are the Syrians and here, here are all their, chariots and their war horses and all that they've got and elisha says and he prays to god and says god would you open the eyes of my servant and god opens the eyes of his servant to see what he previously wasn't able to see and it was this his servant was able to look all over the mountain where elisha lived and he saw horses and chariots of fire those were not the Syrian forces. Those were the forces of Almighty God. Why could Elisha stand in strength? Why could he stand there knowing that the enemy's not going to come and be able to come against him in that moment? Why? Because unbeknownst to the physical eyes spiritually god had sent an army with all of his glorious might to protect elisha from the enemy and now you stand this week with an enemy who wants to do you harm his dominions who want to do you harm and all kinds of worldly chaos which has been getting you down and guess what there are forces of god which you cannot see that are here today to strengthen you the scripture says that he has sent ministering angels to be able to bring you towards jesus to trust him and so while you might not care for the situation that you're in guess what there's a god who cares for you who are in that situation and even though you can't see all the might of god you have to know that it's right there he's going to lead you towards him he's going to work in that situation for your faith for your good Maybe through that situation and through what you're going through for somebody else to come and hear the gospel, he might do that. There was a place back in Seattle I was the chaplain at and there was this woman there who was in her 90s and she she had served at her church in the Midwest and in Kentucky and she was a faithful little gal. And and I would go visit her and I'd say, "Um, Connie, how you doing? And she could barely breathe. Just big, deep breaths. And if she walked around, she had a walker and she could she could barely walk. But she was always at Bible study. She was always at our service on Sundays. She was uh, uh, and she was always to dinner and encouraging other people. And I'd say, Connie, how are you doing? She could barely. She's like, you know what? When I wake up in the morning, I can barely breathe. And I, I keep asking God, w- why am I here? And you would ask her, well, you know, what are things like? And she's like, it's just so hard. I am just so weak. And she, she would say, I just I don't know why God would have me here. But it was evident that as Connie went about her business in that assisted living house, that it it wasn't her just living out her days. God had stuck her there as a missionary going through the burden of not being able to breathe and ongoing hardship in her body so that she could sit at the table at dinner with other men and women who did not know Jesus and tell them about Jesus. He was using her to go to some of the most stubborn Pagan people, be they in their 70s, 80s, 90s. She was a missionary to them, even though her life at that time was a physical and spiritual struggle. But I was so encouraged with her because she would say this. Yeah, but with whatever breath the Lord is going to give me, I'm going to use it to tell people about Jesus. She was depending upon The same power that raised Jesus from the dead to see her through. And she didn't understand all the struggles, but she knew she was in that place to be used by God to bring people to faith. And so one of the times recently we went back, I went to the facility and and um, I went up to the desk and I'd say I'd say, is Connie up in a room? They said, she's not she's not in a room anymore. Part of me was sad for myself. It was kind of a selfish moment like, oh, I don't get to see Connie. But in that moment, I was also thankful that God, I know God had ordained every one of the breaths of her life, whether it was an easy breath or a struggle. I know even to her death, Connie was speaking the name of Jesus to people and God was growing her faith. And I, I was so grateful that in the moment that I knew that she had passed, that the Lord was caring for her welcome home it's good to see you and whatever your burden is right now you don't know all the reasons why but i guarantee you it's the purpose ultimately is jesus i know we 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 say that all the time everything jesus it's not just a phrase it is about him and he's not allowing these things to go on in your life to crush you he's He's using it so that every breath of your life. You will recognize him and his power. This verse goes on and, and says this. You may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience. With joy. Some of you are. Enduring and you're being patient. But you don't feel joy right now. My understanding isn't that you're not feeling joy. Not because things. Should be more like a carnival ride that's enjoyable in your life. I think what happens when we are having. To bear up in endurance and patience is we forget about God. I was so struck yesterday with something I had forgot about God. And it just came out of the blue. I had gone down to one of our churches at the beach for Project Sam. And and it was the final Project Sam is our student mentorship program that we have for high school students in our church conferences. And so I'd gone down to the beach and had taught one of the classes and then. At the very end session, it was graduation. There were students who had been in the program for three years and and they were done. They were graduating. And so um, during that time, there was some some moments as the graduates stood up at the front for people in the audience to speak back words of blessing upon uh, the graduates. And so I was just kind of listening in and and um, and uh, one of my pastor friends, he said to them this thing, and I wasn't expecting it to get to me. And I wrote it down because I don't want to forget it. He said. You mean so much to him. I realized in that moment that I've forgotten how much God loves me. I realized in that moment that I've been spending a lot of time. Being a Christian. To make God love me. I just for, I've forgotten how much he loves me. And when you're enduring, and when you're um, being patient, and you're you're going through life, but that you forget God's love, you you forget joy. Paul writes these letters, and Jesus has these words given to people, not for a studious moment in church. He has it so we don't forget. He hasn't forgotten us. We forget him. Amen. I'd forgotten how much he loved me. How could I forget that when week after week we're talking about him on the cross, but I'd forgot it. Do you know how much you mean to him? Do You know that you meant so much that he paid everything he could for you. Amen. Do You know why the world and even we in the church sometimes degrade one another and kick dirt in each other's eyes and blow bombs up in places. I mean, we are we are awful to each other, but you know what? God's not awful to us. He loves us. If he would spend the blood of his beloved son on our behalf, would he not be with us in this moment today? Would he not be with us when we need patience and endurance for joy? He has not wished for us to be crushed. He's wished for us to be redeemed, forgiven, transferred. And to live with him in joy. So be there. I don't know how best else to say, know that God loves you. This passage completely tells us that he spent his life to try to tell us, for God so loved the world. They sent his one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And friends, if there's anyone today who sits over here in this domain of darkness and shrugs their shoulders and says, I just don't know. I am I am begging you. Begging you before it's too late that you would hear the truth of the gospel that we've been talking about today and plead for God's mercy and grace. Please forgive me, God. God, would you please redeem me? Would you transfer me, God? Would you qualify me by Jesus's merit? And guess what? God is going to save you. He is going to transfer you to his kingdom. He's going to do it because he loves you. And he's going to be with you. And you will never be without him again. You may forget. but The rest of your life, he's going to be on you to remind you. And He's going to remind you in moments when you're not even expecting it. And He'll make you cry and do all that. But it's worth it. He loves us. If you don't know Jesus, you have to know this one thing. He loves you. He loves you to do the death. That's what He did by dying on the cross so that you and I could live. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, I'm pleading with you to ask Him for salvation. He wants to save you. But we also know that the Scriptures say... There will be warning signs on earth that he is coming back soon. And I I, I just know that what's happening over in the Middle East, what's happening with with our country, all these things are the churning of the the times that the Scripture talked about that will precede his coming back. And so now is the time to repent. Now is the time to turn to God before it's everlasting too late. So, Father, I come to you this morning and I just want to thank you Thank you, God, for reminding me. That I mean something to you. I thank you for. Your continual display of love towards us. Both in the the death and resurrection of Jesus and also in the continuing ongoing relationship we have with you. You're so good to us and dear to us, Lord, I pray that, that we would recognize that the gospel is everlasting. It wasn't just for that first prayer.